going on, everyone? Paul Dolan here with part two of the Almost Perfect Podcast. Thank you very much for joining me, as always. And thank you for being a part of History in the Making. A two-parter. An Almost Perfect Part 2. An Almost Perfect Complete Podcast. So good, I had to give you two pieces. So the first things first, I'm going to talk about a couple things here. The first thing is how Giannis, because you obviously, obviously listened to part one, and I left you on that cliffhanger, and I know you want answers. I know you want answers. So I'm going to start with why Giannis scoring 50 is helpful for Phoenix. Milwaukee has made... So many adjustments between picking up Chris Paul 80 feet. One of the ones that I had noticed on my almost perfect analysis video, which you can check out on YouTube and Instagram. Instagram handle is at state of the NBA. Okay. My YouTube name will be linked in the description. Just click on that. But anyway. If you saw my almost perfect analysis video, they started setting their pick and rolls with Giannis as the roll man lower to the rim to give him a faster route to the basket. They've tightened up their rotations even more. I think they use only seven now, which is also something I think that Phoenix needs to do. What are you resting people for at a certain point? Yeah, you need rest. I get that. We're not machines, even though Giannis looks like one. But why would Giannis scoring 50 help the Suns win? It's kind of simple, actually, when you think about it. What I would do if I'm the Suns, I've had DeAndre Ayton guarding Giannis for pretty much the entire series. Every time like they need to match up one-on-one, I've always put, or the Suns have always put, Ayton on Giannis. I'm going to stop that tonight if I'm the Suns. I'm going to stop that and leave Aiden exclusively off of Giannis. Exclusively off. And if I'm being honest, what I may do is I may put Mikel Bridges on Giannis. Now, I know what you're saying right away, but Paul, what what are you thinking That's a mismatch, okay? Giannis is, like, gonna destroy him on the block. Well, yeah, that's the point. Giannis scoring 50. Every time Giannis scores, or every time Giannis... Every time Giannis scores, you're taking a three-pointer away from Connaughton, away from Middleton, away from Holiday, and away from Lopez. You're taking an an extra point away from the Bucks. Potentially. They could miss, of course. But having them take more twos than threes helps you because it makes it that much harder in the end because you need to score more to get to 100, over 100, 120, which is pretty much what they averaged during the season. I think it was a little bit over 120. 
So I put Bridges on Giannis, and I let Giannis go one-on-one all game. I'm not building a wall. I'm not doubling him. I'm not tripling him. I'm not doing anything to him. All I'm doing is I'm saying, you want to score? Go for it. We'll have people in there to foul you at times, to put you at the free throw line. But sure, you want to go ahead and score 50, 54, 57? Go for it. Devin Booker scored 70 in a game a few years ago. They lost by 10. And this is the point that I'm getting to. You let Giannis score 50, 54 points. You just have to make sure you keep everybody else under about 16. Let's do some quick math. Everybody loves math, right? I'm not losing any viewers by adding a little math into this. Giannis scores 53, we'll say. Middleton scores, we'll say, 13. We'll say Holiday scores 13 also. We'll say Connaughton adds 9. He hits three threes. We'll say Portis adds 7. We'll say Lopez adds 10. Why not? Am I missing anybody? That's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. That's 6 numbers. Who else do they have that comes in? But right there, you're at 105. And that's a target score if you're Phoenix. You say if they score 105, we can win. They score 105, we can win. But the whole point is that you have to make sure you are keeping everybody else under 15 or 16 points. And that's hard to do. But... As much defense as you're going to be not playing on Giannis, you need to do the exact inverse on everybody else. On everybody else. Oh, P.J. Tucker. That's who I was not thinking of. P.J. Tucker's been averaging something like four points in this entire like playoff season. So that's not a player that I'm even really worrying all that much about. Now when Giannis scores 40... There are still enough shots not being taken because he didn't cross the amount of shots he needed to take to get to 50. There's still enough shots left over after he scores 40 for Middleton to get 22. I don't know how much he got. I'm just spewing out numbers here. But there's enough shots left over for Middleton to get 22, Drew to get 18, Connaughton to get 14, Lopez to get 10 or 11 or 12. And now these numbers, you're really adding up at this point. That's getting to a point where you're not able to really cross that. The 40-point range for Giannis is deadly for Phoenix. The 50-point range for Giannis is deadly for Milwaukee. Because again, you're taking points away from Milwaukee, potentially, every time they make a 2 and not a 3. Foul Giannis, send him to the line. Have somebody come in like a... Uh, Frank Kaminsky. Now, I actually wanted to do a almost perfect analysis video on something that Frank Kaminsky was doing was absolutely atrocious, and I actually have all the graphics made. I just need to do the voiceovers and then do them all. 
put Frank Kaminsky in there for the sole purpose of getting six fouls. I don't care if he has two minutes on the court and he gets six fouls. Hit Giannis hard. Flagrance. I don't care. But you've got to get this guy to the line often. And if he scores, if he dunks on you, fine. I don't know what that's like. I've never been dunked on. You know, thank goodness. But if he dunks on you, live with it. Move on to the next play. But you've got to make sure that he gets up to that range of 50 and over. I actually wish that I looked at a stat of how of what the Bucks record is when Giannis scores over 50. Because sure, Giannis might make one three-pointer. He might make two three-pointers. Maybe. But where are all of his shots going to be? They're going to be within seven feet. And I'd rather Milwaukee be taking twos and making them than threes and making them. So my adjustment in the end, if I'm Phoenix, is I'm locking everybody else down and everything is man-to-man coverage with the sole purpose of going out of my way to put a mismatch on Giannis as often as possible. Let him get down there. Let him score. Because again, also, like let's say it gets close late, all right, and they're down three. Now, these guys are NBA players. They can make shots in the end, of course. But everybody knows that there's a rhythm in basketball. Everybody that watches basketball knows that there's a rhythm in basketball, that there is a rhythm for shooters, especially. I wasn't a great shooter ever, but I was a pretty good shooter. And I knew when I had the flow working. It's almost mechanical. Like you're not, you're not even doing it yourself. It's like basketball is almost playing itself through you. That sounded deep, but trust me, it wasn't, okay? Trust me, that wasn't. It probably didn't even make any sense. But let's say you're down three. If you're Milwaukee, you're down three. There's a minute 30 left. Game six of the finals. Your hands are going to get heavy. Speaking of which, Devin Booker, as great as his game was in game five, His hands started looking real heavy late in the third and all throughout the fourth. He still made some of those shots in the fourth. But I think there was one play in particular where he was on the left, where he was on the left side with the ball, like within nine feet or so, maybe even a little bit closer. And he missed the shot so badly. I think he was indecisive on whether he was going to try and float and bank it in or float and put it in like a swish. And he ends up just like clanking it terribly. His hands looked real heavy. And that's that kind of fighting through adversity thing that I was talking about. Kobe's hands didn't get heavy back, uh, back in the day because this man fought through adversity. This man was born in the crucible of fire or Whatever the hell that saying is that I couldn't get right in the uh, in the first part. Booker's hands got heavy. And now, you're down three. I digress. I apologize. You're down three. You're Milwaukee. And Middleton, you know, you've taken maybe nine shots all game. Maybe ten. 
and you haven't taken a shot now for over eight minutes, maybe over six minutes, five minutes, and now you want me to put up a three while I'm exhausted, completely out of rhythm, and I've only made one out of four so far in the game, good luck. If he makes that, he makes that. I mean, you, you, sometimes there's nothing you can do. But I'd rather take my chances with a Chris Middleton out of rhythm than a Chris Middleton who has been cooking Chris Paul every time he's guarded him. Right? That's just terrible defensive management on the Suns' part. When they were putting Chris Paul on Chris Middleton in game five, I think it was also game four even, but mainly game five, Chris Paul was being stir-fried. Chris Paul was being oven-roasted. He was cooked all game. You want Chris Paul to guard 6'7 or 6'8 Chris Middleton? Stop it. Even I know Chris Paul's not doing that, and I'm a Chris Paul fan. So my theory is, I let Giannis go. Giannis taking the shot is a win for me if I'm Phoenix. Milwaukee missing is obviously a win for me if I'm Phoenix. As long as they don't hit a three, it's a win for me for Phoenix. I'd rather have Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and everybody else out of rhythm and have Giannis cooking than have Chris Middleton dropping 29 on my head and threes are coming out of the sky like a typhoon. What? I'm good. I don't need that in my life. But I actually think that's a very short-term adjustment plan for Phoenix, which is why I think inevitably Milwaukee wins in seven. You can get away with that for one game, but you can't get away with that in two games, I don't think. Now, this also leads me to Giannis's early rest explanation for me. I have a theory. And I don't know if this is right on any level. This is going to be some more almost perfect science for you. But if Giannis is averaging, we'll say like, I don't know, 42 minutes in this series, would you rather have him take a three-minute rest, a two-minute rest, at the end of the first quarter when Phoenix has perhaps already scored 26 points with two minutes left? Or would you rather Giannis take a rest when Phoenix has eight points in the first three minutes of the game? We're at the nine-minute mark now, let's say, in the first quarter. When they have nine points and you leave them out for three minutes, so now we're at the six-minute mark in the first quarter. There's still 42 minutes left in the game. No matter how much of a run they make, let's say they go on a 20-4 and four run, they're up 16 now, you still have 42 minutes to make up 16 points. Very doable, as we've seen. Actually, that, that was exactly what happened in Game 5, wasn't it? They were down 16. They were down 32-16. I know they were getting doubled up. And what is it that happened? They came right back. So my theory is, is that 40 minutes or 42 minutes, no matter how you spread it, is going to feel like 40 minutes or 42 minutes. So I'd rather him take those rests earlier into the game 
so that no matter what kind of damage is done when he's not on the court, because most of the time when he's off the court, Phoenix is going to have the advantage, obviously. Whatever that advantage is that Phoenix gains out of that time that Giannis is off the court, I now have more time to make up that difference because I'm taking him out earlier and bringing him back in also earlier. 42 minutes is going to feel like 42 minutes. In the end, you're going to be tired. All right? You're just going to be tired. But strategically for the game, I need to take you out earlier so that we have more time to make up what we lose with you out. And also, let's say, I mean, if it really gets just really bad while he's out, let's say somehow it's like a 26-0 and 0 run in three minutes, somehow. Obviously, it's impossible, but let's just say that that happens. If you start seeing it really going south, like not to that extreme, but let's say they go on like, okay, you know, something reasonable, a 12-0 run in uh, three minutes. A 12-0 run happens. You really start seeing it get out of control, you can put him back in. You can put him back in and say, listen, we're gonna, you've had a minute and a half of your three-minute rest. We'll take you out again at, a, at what would be a normal time to rest you, and we'll rest you for a minute and a half then so you can get your rest and be okay then. But this is getting out of hand. I can't have it get this bad this early. That's just my guess. I have no idea if that really is what it is. You see Giannis also always get up very slowly whenever he gets fouled and he gets hit to the floor because he's always trying to catch his breath. And that's also why I think he goes to the free throw line and spends so much time there because he's really just trying to catch his breath. Which in the end also I think is why he has trouble at the free throw line because he's actually multitasking. So he's not fully focused on the free throw. He's actually more so focused on catching his own breath than he is making the free throws. I have no idea if anything that I'm saying is true. I'm just tying one string together after another and putting it together to somehow seem convincing. But it wouldn't surprise me if the Suns let Giannis go, rack up all the points that he wants, but Phoenix ultimately wins. Drew Holiday has completely outplayed Chris Paul. Facts. Chris Paul outplayed Drew Holiday in the first two games. Also facts. But this is the tortoise versus the hare. And in a sense, it actually almost really is like that. Because Chris Paul really is, he's, he's bouncy. You see him do that classic, you know, 40 feet away from the rim. He's hopping while he's, he's hopping up and down while he's uh, dribbling. He's excited, running all over the place, in the end gassing himself. But who wins the race? The tortoise. Might be slow at times, very efficient, very strong. And can we give the reptiles some credit here, in all honesty? They're smarter than they seem. And they're smarter than they seem because they're highly instinctual. They don't have any higher level thoughts. It's all instinct. And Drew Holiday, I'm sorry to like draw these comparisons between you know, species and reptiles and mammals and stuff, but nonetheless, Drew Holiday seems, 
I'm not going to say that he's a dumb player. He's not. He's very smart. But he has great instincts. Great instincts. Great timing. And also, just like the tortoise, very hardworking. All right, enough of the tortoise analogy. Jesus Christ. Um, But Drew Holiday, he's completely outplayed him in these last three games. Completely outplayed him. Chris Paul is probably hurt to some degree. No excuses. And this is the second time this has happened to you, Paul, in the playoffs. You've got to do better. I like the switch that they made, though. The Suns, I mean, on the defensive end. They ended up putting Paul onto Connaughton and putting... It wasn't Bridges. Was it Bridges? I think it was Bridges, actually. And they put Bridges onto... Holiday. And then they left Booker on Middleton, which is a mismatch for Middleton. There may be times where Paul has to sit defensively because you don't really have a spot to put Devin Booker. You put Devin Booker on Holiday? I don't think so. Booker will get into foul trouble just like he did in game four, I think. I also had another almost perfect analysis video where I showed that I think it was game two where Paul just seeks out Connaughton on the defense on those really high pick and rolls where they put Aiton in or they put uh, Giannis in drop coverage on Paul and Aiton and Paul pulls up for that like snake like jump shot where he drives down, he weaves and curls his way out to like 9, 10 feet. He pulls up and fades away from around the block area, the mid-block. He always seeks out Connaughton over there. But, again, I didn't get around to that one either. But I do also have all the graphics ready for that one, so eventually that'll come out. But I do like that they put Chris Paul on Connaughton because it's going to keep Paul out of foul trouble. But here's the other thing is it's going to keep Paul running around and gas him because all Connaughton does is come off down screens, come off curls, come off the weak side like J.J. Redick, Kyle Korver, and any spot-up three-point shooter. Ray Allen, Clay Thompson, he's more than that obviously, but nonetheless, Steph Curry, and Chris Middleton has just absolutely caught fire, just like I said that he needed to do. And I said that the Bucks were not out of this series. I also, again, granted, said that I didn't think that they would win this series. But I said they weren't out of it. I knew they weren't out of it. And Chris Middleton has done what he needed to do. Brooke Lopez has had moments. But he hasn't had that game yet. I think he had 14 points in one game. Maybe it was 15, maybe it was 16. But in the end, that's really all he has to do. It really is. And as I said, the Suns just took too many desperation shots in Game 5 especially. But kind of in Game 4, but definitely in Game 5. You saw hands getting heavier. And this is where that fighting through adversity really comes into effect. You're never desperate when you're fighting through adversity. What you use to fight through adversity is mental fortitude. 
mental strength, hard will, relentlessness, determination. This is these are the weapons used to combat adversity. Some of these traits guys on the Suns have. Some of them, sure, of course. Devin Booker, killer mentality. Killer mentality. And I think he's mentally strong also. But this takes everything to another level. Your back is to the wall. What are you going to do? Are you going to flail and hope something lands? Or are you going to square up and knock them out? Please don't fight. This is not me telling people to go fight. This is not me giving my recommendation to go fight people. No, this is all metaphoric, okay? All right? Let's not be... While I am a literalist, let's not all be literalists here, okay? And the last thing I want to talk about is a little bit of a, a little bit of a lighter note, and that's USA basketball. Now I'm going to have more in-depth podcasts on USA basketball very soon, but I want to talk about a very relevant USA basketball piece of information with regards to this podcast. Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Devin Booker are all about to play on Team USA. And if Milwaukee does win tonight, Game 6, 9 p.m., it's now 7.19 p.m., so a little less than two hours away. Now it's 7.20. But if Milwaukee wins four straight after you win the first two games you meaning Phoenix slash Devin Booker? Are you really going to go to USA Basketball to play on the same team as two of the guys who just cooked your entire team four straight games? Personally, I'm, I'm an incredibly competitive person. And... Sometimes it ruins my day because I'll lose at something so meaningless like box ball back in the day. And it'll ruin my day because I'll just keep thinking about it like, man, I could have hit that. Man, that was a cheap shot. Man, that didn't count. That was out of bounds. And USA basketball is an incredible honor. And I'm going to give you guys a hot take right now that is a topic for a future podcast, but I think a gold medal is more valuable than an NBA championship ring. I think. I'll give my case for that later down the road. Most people don't agree with me. I think everybody that I've ever asked that question to, maybe only one other person has ever agreed with me that Olympic gold is better than an NBA ring. And I know, obviously, a lot of people are just automatically going to say that I say that because of Carmelo Anthony, but that's actually not the case, and Melo doesn't really have anything to do with that. I 
thought I've thought this way. I mean, I've always been a Mellow fan, but I've thought this way probably before I even knew Mellow had one uh, Olympic gold medal. I don't know, maybe not, but I'm fairly sure that Mellow doesn't have any uh, influence over me in this regard. As you know, as uh, challenging as that may be to believe for viewers and listeners at home. But I digress once again. I apologize. But if you're Devin Booker, are you really going to tell me that you're going to go out of your way when you know that you'll get another Olympic chance? You know you'll get another Olympic chance. I, I mean, unless you get injured, obviously. But Devin Booker's 24 years old. When he's 28, he'll probably be playing the best basketball of his career, again, assuming he's not injured. So, I mean, you're going to play again. You should easily be in the Olympics again. I don't know if I would go during this time. You know how much heat you're going to catch from just all of the teammates, not counting the two people you just played against for the championship? And you're going to have to be around that. You're going to have to be around everybody congratulating them the first day that they're all there. You're going to have to smile and like take all the insults and all the, uh, all the smack talk just on the chin. I don't know if I would want to do that after battling an entire season, pushing through all the playoffs, getting all the way to the finals, winning the first two games, and then being shut out after that. I don't know if I'd deal with that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. I don't think that there's any shame in that. That's being a high-level competitor. I don't want to see your face after you just roasted my entire squad. I've got to go home and I've got to, I've got to unwind. I'm angry. I'm pissed. I don't want to see you. And I don't want to like get, be getting high fives from you. I don't want to be getting like, oh, good job, man. Yo, where you want to go eat later? Yo, great layup, man. This was a great practice. You want to go uh, hit the cafeteria? You want to go uh, see what the uh, swim team is up to? Like, like what? No. I'd want to be as far away from you as possible. This is real to these people. This is the competition of their lives. The NBA Finals. And now you want me to say two days after the last game of the Finals? Ah, nah, man, we're cool. Don't worry. We're, it's, all, it's, all, it's all water under the bridge, man. Hakuna Matata. We're in the past. Or no, what? We're, we're in the present, not the past. Live in the moment. YOLO. No. Stop playing yourself. That's not how it works. That's not how it is for the highest level of competitors. And I, I don't think that I'm the highest level competitor out there. Of course not. I'm imagining what my level of competition and competitiveness is at. And just for me alone, I know I wouldn't be able to do that. And so I'm trying to multiply this in my head by like a good trillion. Yeah, I just said a g-trillion. All right. It's a number. Mark it. Book it. And all I could think of is I wouldn't want to see those guys. I wouldn't want to pass them the ball. I wouldn't want to pretend like we're buddies. I wouldn't want to pretend like 
everything's cool. I'm that I'm personally I'm that kind of guy. Like if I don't like you, you're you're gonna know. Like I'm not gonna act fake around you, and I'm not gonna be happy that I'm around you. But I mean, that's just me. That's that's really just me. Maybe in the end, like all these guys, multi-level millionaires, they can really let it just like fall right off of them. Maybe they can. That would be incredibly impressive, and that, that's really it. That would just be incredibly impressive if they could really do that. But I know I couldn't, so I don't know why they would be able to also. I don't know. Maybe they're better than me. Who knows? I'm almost perfect. But once again, I just wanted to get these predictions in under the buzzer. Thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoy the NBA Finals. The countdown begins. It's 7.33. Tip-off is in just about an hour and a half. It'll be a little bit over. But once again, I think that Phoenix wins tonight. Milwaukee wins in seven. But who knows? I, in, in the end, this series is far from over, I think. I don't think it ends tonight. I'm pulling for Phoenix still. Don't get me wrong. My prediction is the other way now at this point. But I'm still pulling for Phoenix. Pulling for Chris Paul. Pulling for Devin Booker. Pulling for Aiden. Pulling for Bridges. Pulling for Payne. Pulling for Johnson. Johnson's had a great series, by the way. I want to say that real quick. Johnson has had a great series. For his assumed level of contribution and his and where he is in his career to be in the finals right now and to be shooting the ball the way that he does very impressive it's very impressive but again I think Phoenix wins tonight and I think Milwaukee now wins in seven let me know what you think tell me if you think I'm wrong tell me if you think I'm right tell me if you think anything at all Tell me what you think of the Almost Perfect Podcast doing its first two-part episode. History in the making, folks. This day will be recorded in history, like it is being recorded right now. But thank you very much for joining me. My name is Paul Dolan. This has been an Almost Perfect Podcast. Maybe a little bit more long-winded than I would have thought it would be, but that's normally how I am. So thank you very much for joining me. Once again, my name is Paul Dolan. This has been an almost perfect podcast, and thank you very much for joining me. Enjoy Game 6 of the NBA Finals. Tip-off is in just about an hour and a half. We'll see if I'm right. We'll see if I'm wrong. But the one thing we'll see is if we have a Game 7 or a champion. This has been an almost perfect podcast, and I will see you next time. Peace.